Welcome to the Well Woman Show. Each episode is a transformational journey using mindfulness, feminism, leadership, and strategy. Generate wealth and impact your community. We think of happiness as this thing that you get once your circumstances are perfect, but the research actually suggests that we might have the causal arrow backwards, that achieving happiness can help you improve your circumstances in all these ways we don't really expect. And now, here's your host, feminist thought leader, London School of Economics grad, leadership consultant, and transformational coach, Giovanni. Hello, Well Women. Before we begin, I want to acknowledge that we are in the midst of the largest civil rights movement in the history of this country, and Black women are leading in so many ways. In upcoming episodes of The Well Woman Show, we'll feature the work of Black women in this movement through co-hosting, interviewing, and highlighting Black women. And direct links to past shows featuring women of color can be found at wellwomanlife.com slash 205 show. This community supports all women to access our internal power, hear our deep wisdom, and cultivate our emotional resilience so that we can thrive personally, professionally, and make an impact in our world. For my white Well Woman Show listeners, the world needs us all to examine our privilege and step up to do the hard work of dismantling racism and racist systems. There are some resources for anti-racism work at wellwomanlife.com slash anti-racism. On The Well Woman Show this month, I talked to Lori Santos, a professor of psychology and head of Silliman College at Yale University, as well as the host of the critically acclaimed podcast, The Happiness Lab. After observing a disturbing level of unhappiness and anxiety among her students, she began teaching a course entitled Psychology and the Good Life, which quickly became the most popular course in Yale's history and has almost reached 2 million people all over the world. Although now she's best known as a happiness expert, Santos's research Research explores the much broader question of what makes the human mind unique and often includes comparing the cognitive capacities of non-human animals to humans. On the show, we talk about how happiness is something we can all work on and why it's harder for women than men to make time for happiness. All the information shared today can be found at the show notes at wellwomanlife.com slash 205 show. You can also continue the conversation with us in the Well Woman Life community group at wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico and High Desert Yoga in Albuquerque. I'm speaking with Dr. Lori Santos today. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So it's so good to have you. It's funny. Um, I actually was looking at your, so, you know, as we heard in the introduction, um, you are a professor of psychology at Yale and um, have a podcast, which we'll talk about. Um, you also started a course on happiness and I was looking at it thinking, hmm, that would be really interesting to interview Dr. Lori Santos. And then lo and behold, in my email box was a, a, a request to have you on the show. So I wanted to start, Dr. Santos, by asking you, um, who are you in the world today? Yeah, well, these days, I'm a bunch of different roles at once, which I think can get confusing. You know, I'm a a friend and a wife. Uh, I'm a professor of psychology, which means I teach classes on Yale's campus. I also run a research lab. Um, But a lot of my time these days, at least over the past couple of weeks, has been taken up with two different roles. One is as the host of this new podcast, um, but the other is as a head of college on campus. Um, So I'm a head of college at Yale, Yale 
Yale has these residential colleges where students live on campus. And being a head of college means I live with students. And that role has been uh, increasingly busy in part due to COVID-19 of trying to make sure students get off campus and that they're safe and that they get their stuff. And so uh, it's been incredibly busy. Um, but the podcast has also been really busy in part because, you know, the, the whole series of the Happiness Lab is about, you know, the scientific basis of becoming happier, right? What are evidence-based practices that you can use to become happier right now? And I think all of us need that so much during the context of coronavirus um, that we've been trying to put out some special episodes on COVID-19 and just trying to get folks as many tips as possible. So it's been a little busy, but um, but in a good way. Yeah. I mean, you have a particular challenge, which is that professionally you work on happiness and personally, it, it's probably pretty challenging to like maintain a level of happiness. How do you, how do you navigate that COVID or no COVID? I mean, do people always expect you to be happy? Kind of. Although, although if you watch any of my lectures, you learn quickly that I reveal that I'm not genetically like predisposed to be very happy. Like I'm not a naturally happy person. And so I think that kind of takes the wind out of people's sails when they think like, Oh, she must be like happiness guru and be happy all the time. So I think I quickly dissuade people of that notion. But, but the good news is I think teaching a lot of this stuff, when you teach all your students about these evidence-based practices that they can use to feel happy, you kind of get embarrassed if you don't practice what you preach, right? So that means I'm putting into practice a lot of the things I'm telling my students about all the time, like, you know, taking time to be present, taking time for gratitude, um, prioritizing something I imagine we'll talk about, which is time affluence, which is just this subjective sense that you have some free time. Like I I have to follow the things I'm telling students, um, which can be really tricky when you're busy. But I think having that social support of knowing that people are relying on me for this stuff, it, it helps me put it into practice too. And just as the data would suggest, if you do these interventions pretty regularly, it can improve your mood. So, so I get the benefit of being the preacher mostly because I have to practice what I preach. I, I find that too, doing this show, like I, I have to really put into practice the things that I, you know, talk about with my audience and with the community. And and it's a good check, right? It's like, okay, am I actually doing these things? So Dr. Santos, w- you're working on this podcast, you're, you're running a program at Yale and what is the impact of your work on women's lives and well-being specifically? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you know, the tips that I talk about can be applied to any gender, people of any background, but I think they're particularly important for women in part because, you know, in my experience, based on the emails I get and just the comments that come through the class, like, you know, women are really struggling in part because we feel like we need to do it all, right? Like we need to be the perfect spouses and the perfect workers and the perfect moms and all these things. And I think that that can lead to a lot of behaviors in which women are beating themselves up a lot of the time. And so I think the the evidence-based practices talk a lot about things like taking time for presence, you know, taking more off your plate to achieve more. And so I feel like these strategies are particularly useful for like women in the 21st century, you know, who are who are facing a lot of difficulty in terms of just like living their life and kind of en- enacting the kind of self-care that really matters. Yes. And do you find that you see a difference? Is there a sex and gender difference in your work? Yeah, we're starting to do a little bit of that with the online class. Um, this is the first round where we've had a sample size big enough to get some data on this. Um, And so in in a first pass, we just wanted to make sure that doing these interventions, like learning the content that students learn in the class and doing these interventions was actually helping their happiness. Um, And we're writing the paper up now, but it really looks like on a 10 point happiness scale, on average, learners are going up over a whole point, which is pretty cool. You know, like if you start off as like a six out of 10 on happiness after taking the class, you end up at like a seven out of 10 on happiness, which is super cool. Um, But now that we've kind of seen that effect, we're trying to dig into whether or not we're specifically seeing gender effects on these 
these things. And we don't have any new data just yet. But again, I think that like because women are so prone to not engaging in these interventions naturally, I think they can be particularly helpful. Yeah. And I mean, what I found in my work with with women is there's really no lack of information out there. Like you're you've got all these evidence-based practices. There's all kinds of information. It, it's like how do we integrate that into our lives and make it work? And so often women feel overwhelmed by like another thing to do and are not cre- like creating the space in their lives to actually, you know, work on some of these things. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly spot on. One of the first things we teach in the class is this cognitive bias known as the G.I. Joe fallacy, which I don't know if you're a child of the 80s like me or if you're a listener, children of the 80s, but G.I. Joe is this bad 80s cartoon about army guys and nobody remembers it, but, but they kind of remember how it ended, which is that each episode ended with this public service announcement where G.I. Joe would say, you know, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. I'm going to go, G.I. Joe, if you remember the cartoon. But but the idea is yeah. <laughs> we, think, we think that, right? Like we think now I know and knowing is half the battle, right? But it, the social science suggests it's not half the battle, right? Like you can know all the stuff that you're supposed to do, but unless you come up with strategies to actually put it into effect in your own life, you know, that knowledge isn't going to help you. If anything, it's just going to like make you feel guilty for not doing the kind of thing that you know you're supposed to be doing. And so what we try to do in the podcast and in the class is to give people like actionable strategies that you can put into effect like today, you know, like in the next hour, like here's what you do. Because again, I think what we don't want is to teach people all this evidence-based science and all these interventions and just have people feel more guilty for not putting them into effect. Like we need to find ways that are really going to work in our busy lives to like do these things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I want to get to some of those specifics if you, if we can do that in in just a minute, but I want to take a broader look at, at your work and just ask you, what's the overall like what's the overarching vision here? Yeah, I mean, I think the goal is to try to give people a kind of feel happier, you know, and I think sometimes people can take a, a kind of nasty view at that project, right? It's like, oh, you want people to be happier? You don't want to like solve the structural inequities that like, you know, make the world the worst place? Like, no, we're not, you know, saying that we need to, like, of course we want to solve all that stuff too. But ultimately, like people are, people feel good when they're happy. Happier people are, have stronger immune systems. Like they're more protect, uh, have long, have, happy people have longer lives in some cases. There's one famous study with nuns that showed that nuns that are happier in their 20s actually live longer. Um, Happier people do better in their job performance. Like, you know, we think of happiness as this thing that you get once your circumstances are perfect, but the research actually suggests that we might have the causal arrow backwards, that achieving happiness can help you improve your circumstances in all these ways we don't really expect. And so I think this project of giving people the tools they need to feel happier is ultimately going to make them more resilient which can cause better societal outcomes because people can then have the bandwidth to do the stuff that really matters. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, there's a lot of pushback on kind of the self-help industry or the you know personal development just on the individual and and I, I talk a lot about this too on the well woman show and in my work which is that you know it's not just about individuals being happy and like that's the end like as long as I'm happy like it's all fine it, it's really about like like you said like if if individuals can be happy and resilient then they'll have the bandwidth to actually work on social change and work on the really important issues that 
require our energy and our attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I've seen so many uh, change makers and social change activists just completely burn out because it's just too much. Yeah, yeah I think they, we, need to, we need to pay, you know, we, we think we can squeeze in all of it, right? But ultimately, if that causes us not to do any of it because we've totally burnt out or we've given ourselves, you know, like mental health issues, like you know, we just kind of can't, right? And so I think we have to work smarter and not harder, right? Like there are ways to do the kinds of things we really want to do in a way that's smarter. And one of those smart things involves, you know, taking care of our health, whether that be our physical health or our mental health. Okay. And when it comes to the evidence-based practices that you're, I want you to share a few of those so that people can go away today and like actually implement something. Um, But when we talk about these, are they applicable across the board, you know, regardless of gender, um, socioeconomic background? Like what if people are in different situations? Like can, can everybody really take advantage of of your of your suggestions? Yeah, I think for the most part. I mean, again, like the then this is where I think these tips sometimes differ from the typical thing we think about when we think about self-care. You know, when we think self-care, we often think like, oh, I have to buy this expensive bubble bath or like, you know, the, the things I'm suggesting aren't don't involve buying anything. They don't involve having certain amounts of money. Um, they involve having a little bit of time, but often not a lot of time. You know, some of the tips we'll mention, you know, you can do in five minutes here and there, 10 minutes here and there. They involve a little bit of intention, right? Which I think some people don't have the bandwidth to do. But I think if you can if you can find ways to put that intention in, then the benefits that you get can be huge. Okay. Why don't we go ahead and why don't you share some of the tips? And I just want to frame this in context of uh, what a lot of my listeners uh, hear me talk about, which is the Well Woman Life Framework, which uh, talks about four stages of our lives. And in any given moment with any given challenge, we're in one of these four stages. In, in each of these four stages where we're struggling with in a different way, but there are different tools. And I imagine a lot of your tools um, will align with these different stages that I talk about. And the first one is cultivating awareness um, and and really being able to observe our thoughts and, and, and have some separation from our thoughts so that we can be aware of our thoughts, but not be our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second stage is where we're really accessing our inner knowledge, really co- getting quiet with ourselves and, and accessing that that inner wisdom. Um, and then the third stage is aligned action where we're taking action based on uh, the other work that we've just done. And then of course, the fourth stage is um, where you've taken the action and things are better and you're in flow. And um, and so it's kind of a cycle and we can go kind of around and around this cycle. But I'd love for you to talk about your your tips and with, with that context. Yeah, totally. I think, I mean, it will be interesting to see what you think about it, but I think with some of these tips, you can implement them at those different stages. I almost see those four phases as the sort of phases of implementing these different things, but then some of the practices in some ways are those phases too. So it'll be interesting to see. But but the main, um, one of the biggest tips that we get from evidence-based science about how to feel happier, it comes from the fact that happy people tend to be really social. Um, You know, every available study in positive psychology suggests that like social people are happier, like people who prioritize time with their friends and family members and people who prioritize even just like connecting with random people they meet. Um, those people tend to be happier than not. And I think this is a really critical one. I think sometimes we're focused so much on our work or so much on, you know, the, the kinds of things that, you know, society teaches us matter a lot that we don't put in the kind of work that we need for our close relationships. And those things can kind of, you know, they, they will fester and they, in some cases will die unless we put the right kind of work in. And so that's sort of tip number one is that we need to be prioritizing that. Um, another way that we can be focused on social connection is through 
becoming a little bit more other oriented. Um, and this is why I don't always love the term self-care because um, I think self-care you can sometimes confuse with being selfish. Like, you know, the way to do self-care is to, you know, buy that personal bubble bath and me, me, me. But the research really suggests that happier people tend to focus on others. You know, they tend to donate more money to charity. They tend to be uh, donate their time and volunteer work and so on. They tend to kind of be more focused on other people's happiness than their own. And that winds up being an inadvertent path to becoming happier ourselves. And so there's lots of research suggesting that if you want to become happier, maybe like, you know, treating yourself and self, self, self care isn't the right way to do it. It's to kind of get a little bit more other oriented and focusing on other people. So that's interesting because, um, with women in particular, and we we touched on this earlier, as nurturers and as a lot of women are moms or caregiving, uh, caring for other members of the family, elders, we we tend to focus on other a lot, and and so then it becomes you're you're at the point where you're like, okay, actually, you need to come back around and do some of the self care that has been. Um, forgotten because you're caring for everybody else. And I certainly talk about that a lot. Um, I agree with you about self-care. It's not just about the bubble bath. It's about really like prioritizing your needs in on a daily basis. So it's not like, you know, an expensive massage once a month. It's It's more like, what do I need to feel happy today and every day? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm interested in your your thoughts on that because women's roles are so focused on, on other people. Yeah. I think part of it is, and and this is a kind of another tip and sort of fits with some of the, the, the four paths that you talked about is that part of it is really paying attention to who you're doing that other work for. Right. And also like how it's feeling to you. Right. I mean, I think a lot of us end up doing what we say is nurturing or helping some people in our lives out of obligation it's not out of a like motive to help. It's out of a like, oh, I have to do this or I have to help this person at work or someone asked and I can't say no. Like, I think that's a confusing way to think about like helping and nurturing other people. It should come out of a like real goal and a real emotion to experience compassion and to kind of help others. Um, but I think it's also important to do that in the context of being present with how it's feeling for you, which is one of the other tips, which is that if we want to be like happy people, we need to take time to be a little bit more mindful. We need to kind of pay attention to how these things feel. And I know I've gone through phases like this where, you know, it feels like I'm doing nurturing, but it's really like, you know, someone asked me to do this thing over email and I feel obligated to do it. Like, that's not the kind of helping we mean. Like what we mean is like having the bandwidth to like, you know, really take on the big problems, like to know I'm doing something that's meaningful, that's making a difference in someone's life. Yeah. I I love that. I I just want to really clarify the distinction, which is what I'm hearing. It's not about um, always doing for others out of obligation and and just because that's what's expected of us you know that's what's that's how we're socialized as women is to to actually do all of these things for everybody and and so something that I share a lot about is setting boundaries and you kind of touched on this and so I think the takeaway here is you know set your boundaries like be comfortable with saying no so that you can say yes mm-hmm. right to the things that really matter and and then that kind of fits with another, of the big tips we talk about in the class, which is this concept of time affluence that I mentioned briefly before, which is um, the subjective sense that you have some free time. Um, it's the opposite of what a lot of us experience a lot, which is time famine, um, which researchers are learning is a lot like hunger famine, right? We're literally starving for time. We're like triaging things. We're kind of feeling frantic, feeling hungry. And what the research shows is that people who prioritize time affluence tend to be a little bit happier. And I think that this intersects with the point we were just making, which is that, you know, if you're a 
saying yes to too many things to the point that you're so time famished, you can't get the positive emotional effect out of doing those nice things for other people. You're just kind of pissed off the whole time and like feeling like you're doing it out of obligation. Um, Gretchen Rubin has this wonderful phrase of kind of feeling like an obliger and you can go through this period of obliger rebellion, which I know quite well. It's kind of like you just like don't want to help anybody anymore. But that comes not out of like the helping part. That comes out of the not respecting your time part and not being mindful about how these things are feeling and really kind of saying no so you can keep some open time just for yourself or just for the feeling of having open time. That's what the science suggests is that it's this subjective sense that you have some free time that can feel really powerful for your well-being. Okay, great. So we'll put these tips in the show notes for sure at wellwomanlife.com slash podcast. And Um, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm so thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico, a monthly green healthy lifestyle publication and for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind and spiritual inspiration for all. You're invited to join me for a brand new monthly group experience over in the Well Woman Academy. This is a monthly group that includes access to the full six-week course based on feminism, mindfulness, and the Well Woman Life Framework. It includes weekly groups coaching sessions with me, as well as office hours and a private Facebook group to share and grow. Don't get me wrong, this is hard work. But with these tools, you will easily find the time to do the course, get the coaching, and reach your goals monthly. If you find yourself worrying about whether you'll ever make it in the thing you're pursuing, waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety, lacking the energy you need to get everything done, stuck in some aspect of leading your team, procrastinating on moving forward with projects and tasks, or in a leadership role but second-guessing yourself constantly, I'd love to introduce you to the Well Woman Academy. It's for smart, high-achieving women changing the world who want to overcome anxiety, burnout, perfectionism, and insecurity. The result? You get to live your well woman life, a life of joy, ease, and abundance, even when things are tough all around you. Visit wellwomanlife.com slash academy to learn more. We're back with Dr. Lori Santos. She has the podcast, The Happiness Lab. And Dr. Santos, we're going to go into the superpowers for success segment here to close out the show. I want to ask you a few quick questions. Uh, this is a bit more personal for about you as a, a leader in your field and as a, a woman. And usually a lot of what my guests share really help inform um, what listeners are up to. Mm-hmm. So the first question is, what does success in life mean for you? Mm, that's a tricky one. I mean, I think success in life for me right now means that I'm, I'm doing work that is making me feel creative. That's kind of making me um, excited while I'm doing the work. You know, I'm getting some flow and stuff out of doing the work, but it's also work that is meaningful. That's like helping other people and really reaching a lot of other people. I feel like that's what success for me feels like right now. I'm kind of happy in what I'm doing and the stuff that I'm doing really matters. Okay. And when did you know you were really good at what you do? <laughs> that implies that I know I'm good at what I do now, which I'm not totally yes. sure I do. Um, you know, I feel like I, t- taking on this new podcast is really out of my comfort zone, you know, so it's coming to terms with my voice and the kind of creative process of writing the scripts. And so it's been a wonderful growth filled experience, but I'm not sure I would necessarily say I'm good at it. I think I know that things are a good fit when they feel quite natural when they're kind of giving me flow and I feel like I'm growing. Um, but also I'm still feeling challenged by things. I think, you know, the things in life that started to feel too easy, 
I feel like, you know, I wasn't really growing from them and they were things to kind of let go. Okay. But you've been pursuing this, um, this field in, in psychology and, and, you know, pursuing like finding out about happiness for a long time. And so this is sort of your, your thing. And when did you know that, that this was it for you? Yeah. Well, the, the history of the happiness stuff is like, I mean, it's been a long time, but relatively recent. I started a lot of this work uh, in 2018 when I first taught a class on happiness, a live class on happiness at Yale. And that really came out of wanting to help the students with their own mental health issues. It was shocking to me as a head of college, just how depressed and anxious and overwhelmed students were. And so the class really evolved out of an attempt to try to help them. Um, but it kind of went viral in all these ways I didn't expect. So this foray into the happiness work is really only like a, you know, two to three year old kind of adventure. Um, but it's been this really incredible adventure. And I think, you know, I started to realize it was the right thing you know, as I was getting more feedback about how much this content was helping people, like it was really resonating with people in a way that I didn't expect. And I just learned like, okay, this is going to be the new thing. I'm just kind of diving into this stuff now for real. Okay. So I'm just going to press on this question just one more time here and sure. just say that, um, so that, that is external like validation, which we all need for sure. Like to know that our work is impacting people and to get that feedback. Uh, but was there a moment when you just knew in yourself that this was what you wanted to be doing? Well, I think you get that internal moment in some ways beca- because the work is fun for you and meaningful. I mean, when I described you know what I thought of success, it had these two components. It had this component of the internal component, like I was growing and I was getting flow from it. And it was kind of hard in this way, like, like a hard exercise class, you know, it felt really right. But then it had this other component that it wasn't just, you know, something like I was doing just you know, because it was fun or whatever, it really was having a positive impact. And for me, those two things together, you know, this, this fact that it is, it feels good internally because it's having this positive effect on the world and it feels good internally just because it's fun. You know, I'm like kind of growing from it and doing something really creative. Both of those two together, I think have mattered for me a lot. Yeah. Okay. And what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? Mm, I think, uh, the superpower I have uh, discovered in this process of sort of learning about the happiness is um, the superpower of like controlling what I can control, if that makes sense. Um, you know, there's so many things in life that are out of your control, but your attitudes, your reactions to things are always kind of in your control. Um, you know, this comes from a lot of the ancient wisdom that the Stoics talked about, about, you know, there are things you can control and things you can't. It also comes from ancient wisdom that Buddhists talked about um, in the parable of the second arrow that you can't always control the first arrows that hit you in life, but usually the second arrows that come are the arrows that you create, you know, they're your reactions to things that might not be so positive. And so the superpower I realized I have, and I'm sort of working hard to cultivate, I'm like, you know, new Spider-Man, like figuring this out, um, is that I have that control and that I can exert it whenever bad things come up in life. Mm, I like that. Okay. And what advice would you give your younger self, say your, say 20 years ago? Um, I think just to not sweat the small stuff, I guess. I mean, maybe, uh, when you look back at your younger self, I feel like my younger self was worried about all this stuff that just like worked out and it was fine, but I couldn't have seen that at the time. And so trying to give my younger self the advice of like, just chill out. It's probably going to be okay. Mm. And do you identify as a feminist? Yeah, definitely. What does that mean for you? 
Um, it means like thinking more about how you can solve the structural problems that, you know, we've unfortunately inherited as women. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of society that isn't necessarily designed fairly for women, for marginalized groups, for people of color, for not able-bodied people, for LGBTQ folks. Like, I think that being a feminist and all the kind of positive ists that go with it is really about sort of thinking of ways that you can fight those things. And for me, one of the fights is really to give people the emotional tools and the resilience they need to help out in that fight. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And last question, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Mm, Well, what's on my nightstand right now, because I'm doing a new podcast episode on tribalism, um, is a a book called Breaking Hate by Christian Picciolini, um, who was himself a former neo-Nazi who got out and now consults on how to break people out of extremist groups. Um, And so he kind of learned the hard way how awful these things are. Um, but now he's using what he learned in those awful groups to kind of help others. So that's been harrowing, but really fantastic. Um, another favorite book of mine that's on my nightstand is a book called the Stoic challenge, uh, which fits kind of what I was saying about that superpower about controlling the things you can control. Um, this is a book by the philosopher, Bill Irvine, who realized that, you know, we all have this superpower of reframing things rather than kind of being a tragedy or something that's affecting us negatively. We can reframe hard situations as challenges. Um, and that's been super helpful for getting me through like all kinds of different hard times that I've faced recently. Mm, Okay, great. We'll put that on our book list on the show notes. And Dr. Santos, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your Well Woman Life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join our community. As a reminder, we are on NPR every week. So be sure to tune in at npr.org slash podcasts and search for The Well Woman Show. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.